Thank you, praise team. We appreciate the wonderful time of worship this morning. Let's just bow our heads, shall we, further? Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we can gather together in this place. We're grateful. First and foremost, for your Son, who has made it well with our soul. Lord, we just pray that as this message goes forth this morning, it may speak to our hearts and teach our minds, strengthen our inner man, that we might see Jesus. And we give you thanks in his name. Amen. We're looking at a passage this morning that has been a mystery for many over the years. In my studies on the topic, I came up with three very important questions. What is round, purple, and almost conquered the world? Alexander the Grape. Second question, very important question. What did the grape say after the farmer stomped on it with his foot? He didn't say anything. He just let out a little whine. And finally, third important question for this morning's message. What did the grape farmer, why did the grape farmer not water his vines and let them all dry out? He had his raisins. Okay. Enough, he said. Enough. Please, no more. We've had a most interesting week. And that interesting week has, for many of us, left us with mixed emotions. And I'm sure around the world, the world is in more turmoil than before January 20th. Nevertheless, I'm here to remind us all that there is but one ruler, and his name is Jesus. And he has not abdicated the throne. He is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. And nothing, nothing in this world will pass without his divine approval. I noticed that one of the first things that President Trump did was signed a bunch of executive orders, which incorporated probably most of his cabinet members and did some other things, routine maintenance they called it. But we have one. doesn't need a paper and pen. When he speaks, the world moves. And so this morning, we're looking at a passage that... It's a very interesting passage, and I thank Brother Phil for allowing me to speak on this topic once more. Four years ago, I purchased a grape plant from our trip to Nova Scotia. The first year, I'd forgotten where it was while cutting my grass. I'm sorry, but yes, you guessed it. I cut it right down to the ground. Year two, it grew back and got to about one foot high, and the third year... It looked like it had died completely. Uh, I gave it some new soil and one tender shoot came out. Yeah, one tender shoot. There is hope for a tree. If it's cut down, it will sprout again. Job 14.7. Now, the reason I bring this up is last year, I actually harvested my first grapes. So year four, we harvested grapes. 
And I was trying to find that photo I took of them because I had brought the grapes right up in front of the lens because they were the size of a small pea. <laughs> and they looked really big when you did that. But, um, but we had about 12 grapes that we harvested off that little grape vine. So I'm pleased to report that while it's still struggling in this northern Ontario climate and soil, it has actually produced some fruit. This scripture that's before us in uh, slide three speaks of the, uh, the Lord as he talks and he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. He begins uh, this, in this passage this way. But it's important to realize that there's a bit of context to that. And can we go back to the slide that deals with the context there, Joe? The context is next. Go on, go on. Okay, there's the context. The context of that is that this is the seventh of the I am's in John. Now you'll notice that one of the I am's, the sixth, I am the way, the truth, and the life, actually has three components to it. It's kind of interesting. But uh, those are the I am's where he makes statements about him being the bread of life, the light of the world, the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection, and the life, the way, the truth, and life, and now I am the vine. And the reason we can um, kind of set this passage in its context is verses uh, 31 of the previous chapter. Joe? And this is what he says. Arise, let us go from here. So let's get the setting here. He's already washed the disciples' feet in John 13. He's already described what's going to happen. They've already had the Last Supper. He's already told them there's a betrayer amongst them. He's already said to them, tonight's the night. One of you is going to betray me. He's already spoken, and Peter has, with all the disciples, has piped up, oh, I'll never betray you. So much like ourselves. This is all gone on in the upper room. And now he says, let us go from here. So what John records for us, unique to John's gospel, by the way, is the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples as he moved from the upper room to the Mount of Olives, where he was to say in the Garden of Gethsemane. So he's walking through the streets of Jerusalem. And as he's walking through the streets, no doubt, it was a full moon, because Passover always happens on a full moon. There would be lots of light. And they were walking down the streets, perhaps maybe staying away from some of the more central streets, but he, they would pass by the temple. And there on the temple walls were the ornate figures of the vine representing Israel. And so he says, I, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. This makes it clear that there is something unique about Jesus that was not found in the temple. This makes it clear that there is something that we as believers in Jesus need to understand. In Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 5, if you were to turn to that, there's a section, a very long 16 verses that deal with Israel being the vine and God's appointed plant I don't know if you've ever had that kind of experience. 
you had a certain plant in your house and you just loved that plant. And you nurtured it and you tried to make it grow. I think we've all been there and had those experiences. Israel is God's appointed plant. The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. And then in Ezekiel 15, he speaks of it in a rather negative way. And he says, like the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest, I have given unto thee. And then he goes on to say, as fuel for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I have set my face against him. And then Psalms 80, verses 7 through 19 Return, we beseech you, O Lord of hosts. Look down from heaven and see, and visit this vine and this vineyard which your right hand has planted. So the context is, they're walking along through the streets of Jerusalem. They see the vine on the side of the temple wall, perhaps. And he reminds them, Israel is God's vine. But then he says, but I am the vine. And my father is the vine dresser. And you are the branches. Now, this is a wonderful passage because Andrew Murray, Abiding in Him, classic, classic book. Others have written on this book. The mystics have taken this book, this chapter of 15 of John, and have elevated it to almost a mystical communion with the Lord. And I'd like to suggest that actually it's not as mystical as we might think. Oh yes, there is a, there is a mystery to all that we have as believers. And as we come into faith in Christ, it is a mystery. I can't explain what happened the night before and the night after I was saved. And I think most of us here who know the Lord would say the same. We just know we suddenly were alive to God. And uh, all of us have a kind of a different path, but they all came through the cross of Jesus. And they all centered on the, the person of Christ and repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ. And so, as we look at this passage in front of us, we want to make sure that we're not taking a mystical approach that is not biblical. Because we all want to have fruit. And we want all the blessings that are involved in being part of this vine. But it's not as difficult as we might think. And so, the question is, are we pruned... Or are we cleansed? Hmm. You see, the King James and some of the other versions talk about every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. And that word pruning has the thought of cut and burn, slash, destroy. It has a very negative connotation. I'd like to suggest today that that verse has actually been misrepresented in some ways. It could be that word pruned, but it's more likely the word cleansed. You see, um, slide 9 makes it clear. In John 13, verse 10, he uses the exact same word when he talks to the disciples and says, And you are cleansed. He that is washed needs not save to wash his feet, but he is clean. That's the word cathar. And cathar is the word from which we get the word catharsis. Cleansing. Purging is not really the main idea. And he had just washed their feet. He had just cleansed their feet. And now he's saying, and you are clean. Now, 
granted, we have a challenge as believers because the cross had not yet happened and he's already saying they are clean. So, are they clean before the cross? They're clean because the cross was coming. Just as Abraham was cleansed because the cross was coming. Just as David could say, Restore to me your salvation and and the joy of your salvation. And he could look forward to that great day. And so he says, you are cleansed. One man put it this way. If I had a nickel for every passage or study I've heard on the pruning procedures, I would be a wealthy man. Some suggest if you don't bear fruit, Jesus is going to prune you. He's going to take away the dross. Now let me assure you, he will take away the dross. He is going to do that. But it's not nearly so painful as you might think. Not nearly. The word translated take away is the word arrow, which means to be raised up or lifted up, as opposed to throw away. And cathar, from which we get the word carthesis, is a cleansing process. The same word Jesus said of disciples about the washing of the feet. In vineyards, it's not uncommon for branches to become so heavy with fruit, that they are, said, they are laying on the ground, leaving the stem vulnerable to mud and rainy, rainy water to cause there to be mold. Consequently, the vine dresser, seeing a branch in the mud, lifts it up, braces it up with string or cord or pole, and washes the mud off the fruit, cleansing it tenderly, lovingly, and carefully. And so let us remember that everything that happens to us as believers in Jesus, happens because we are connected with the God of love. And there is a cleansing process that he's working on us. He's cleaning us from the inside out and he's using circumstances so that we will become and reflect more of the Lord Jesus. So abiding with him or remaining in Jesus is about a cleansing process. And it's wonderful that we can, as we move forward today, think about how this happens. So what do we need to do to produce fruit? What do you and I need to do? Simple. Here it is, in a nutshell. Just hang in there. Just stay put. Just let Jesus do in your life what he is calling you to do. Just let him be the Lord. Just listen to his voice. Allow the sap to run freely. Allow the spirit that control in your life. And as you hang in there, stay with Jesus, remain in him, those little buds will grow. And those little grapes will come forth. You see, the disciples were going to have a problem. In the very next few hours, they're going to be in the garden with Jesus. They're going to be separated, and the three closest will be a little further away, and Jesus will go a little further from them. But he'll say to them, stay with me, stay awake, stay alert. Of course, they all fall asleep, we would too. And then they will all flee, and we would have as well. And they will all deny him by their actions and by their lives. Even Peter will deny him three times. But the resurrection is coming. And he's reminding them, stay with me. We're not done yet. 
You may think the game is over. You may think that the, the final act is, is done. The curtain is drawn. I'm dead, buried, and sealed in a stone-cold grave. But that's not Sunday. Sunday's a common. Stay with me. And so, how much can a believer do for God? What does it say? I am the vine, you are the branches. He who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. From apart from me, you are able to do nothing. Just absolutely nothing. Wow. Isn't that wonderful? We don't have to do a thing. As long as we stay in Jesus, he does it. He does it. He gets the glory. You know, some of us are busy trying to win others for Jesus when Jesus is saying, shut up. Stop talking. Start living for me. Some of us are trying to win our workmen, our workers together, those who are working alongside of us. Some of us are trying to um, be a witness at every person. You know, the cash register, the uh, cashier, the, uh, the taxi driver, the bus driver, the... And we're just like, we want to share. Well, that's a good news thing because when you accept Jesus, you want to witness. That's one of the, that's one of the consequences of abiding in him. Well, one of the, the last consequences, actually. But the fact is, we need to be listening because silence is the most common way that God uses to witness. The still, small voice. And the life that Moses had, you know, we want to get into that experience of abiding and seeing the glory of God. We sang about it today, didn't we? And so we say, yeah, I want to be like Moses. I want to go up into that cleft of the rock. I want to be there where the glory of God shines about me. And I want to, I want to come back down off the mountain. My face is just a-glowing. But we forget that Moses was over 80 years old when this was happening. And that he was, in fact, going through a long and arduous training period. He had had many experiences. In fact, he had to break the Ten Commandments before he saw the glory. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? He brought the commands down to the mountain, saw the people disobeying. He throws them down in anger, breaks them. And then he goes back up and he says, I can't do this. You've got to show me your glory. And we sang about showing me your glory this morning. And it's wonderful to be able to sing it. But let's remember, it doesn't happen all the time. This was a one-time experience for Moses. and uh, Well, I shouldn't say one-time, but it, was, it wasn't the most common experience. He went into the tent and communed with God. But the fact is, this mystery of abiding is no mystery. It simply means remain in Jesus. And the consequences of remaining, well... There's a number of consequences. Slide 16 talks about it. The fruit of love. Galatians 5, and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, meekness, faith, peace, a gentleness. I've misquoted a little bit there, but just the same. There's the fruit of love. When people see you, do they see Jesus? Or do they see a wannabe Jesus? When people see you, do they see the love that Jesus has? Or do they see someone struggling to put on the armor of God? When people see you, do they see love incarnate? 
or do they simply see one who's so busy struggling with their own sin and life, maybe even struggling with the flesh, that they, they only see a, 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 a person whose face is showing a lot of grimacing. You know, like, your, like Sam Dalton used to say, weaned on a dill pickle. Fruit of the Spirit is one of the consequences. The second fruit is the fruit of seeing others one for Jesus. You know, why could Jesus say to them, go out into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? Because they as disciples had a burden for the world now. But they weren't ready for that right in John 15. They were ready for some nurturing and some reminding to stay with him. But that would come. The fruit of winning others for Jesus. Then there would be the fruit of holiness. Yeah, watermelon is an interesting fruit. Ever notice that watermelon is one of those fruits that it's wonderful to taste, but those seeds always kind of get in there. And uh, I picked that for a reason, because as you enjoy the fruit, there's always the challenges of the seeds. The fruit of holiness is something that ought to be exuding our lives. Now, holy people aren't always welcomed. You know, you get into a situation where you walk into an unholy atmosphere, and it says in Romans 6:22, "Now you being made free from sin and becoming servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness." And we're not always welcomed as holy people, but let's remember that the seeds can be a part of that process as well. There's the fruit of personal giving. That's another fruit that comes from abiding in Jesus. That we want to respond by giving, not just our time, but our talents and our funds. The husbandman that labors must be first a partaker of the fruits, Paul told uh, Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.6. And then there's the fruit of praise from our lips. Wow. Isn't it wonderful to be able to sing? And some of our voices are more like cats that have been stepped on the tail. And some of our voices are like uh, bullfrogs and croaky voices. But, you know, it's wonderful, the Lord says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. The fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, Hebrews 13, verse 15. There's the fruit of righteous living. Wonderful fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Ephesians 5, verse 9. So that's the first consequence. There's going to be fruit in our lives. Paul would tell the Corinthians, if you, you ought to test yourself to see whether you're in the faith. And the verse that always challenged me as a young person claiming to be a Christian but not really knowing Jesus was that verse, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. I go, well, not too much new going on here, Dave. Of course, nobody ever heard me say that. That was just me talking to myself. But if you're in that position today, if you're saying, I really want to be a Christian, I, I really long to be a Christian, I'll tell you what was told me. Mean business with God, and he will mean business with you. When you start meaning business with God, we're such liars. We are so deceitful. We fake it, phonies, falsehood. And we come to God and we say, Oh God, be merciful. And we don't want it. Because we don't want Him. Because He says, I'm going to take away that sin that you so enjoy. 
I'm going to take away that addiction that you so enjoy. I'm going to take away that heart that goes after wrong. And I'm going to give you a clean heart. And you say, oh no, you're not. I'm not letting you do that. I just want salvation. I just want heaven. And he says, enough. You can't have one without the other. You can't have the king kingdom without the king. And so, the consequence of abiding is secondly, answered prayer. Slide 22. Wonderful thought that you and I can come to the maker of this universe and pray. And I mean, not, I'm not talking just little stuff. I'm talking about praying about the weather. And I don't care if you want to pray for sunshine and you want to pray for rain. God can, God's big enough to do both. We've all seen it rain on one side of the street and, and sunny on the other side of the street. I'll never forget that day the Sunday school was getting ready to go out to Kettle Lakes. Some of us will remember that day well. It was as black as black could be. We had Green Water, Green Lake, I think it was, or one of the names of the lakes out there scheduled for the Sunday school for a picnic. We said, should we go? Prayed about it. Got together and prayed. And the Lord seemed to say, yeah, go anyways. It's crazy. What are we doing going out there? It was black clouds. We get out there. There's this huge blue hole in the black clouds right above where we were for the entire afternoon as we enjoyed the sunshine. The entire black... I, I don't... Like, I don't profess to understand how that happens meteorologically. I just know that God saw fit to say, I'm going to take care of you. And he's doing it every day if we will but let him. And we need to start praying about the little things. He says, I see the sparrow when it falls. Why? Well, well because he wants us to pray about the little things. We prayed about little birds one time. And some budgies, crazy birds. They were fun, but crazy. And one day we found these eggs in the nest. What? You guys managed to get some eggs? And then they hatched. We, we got to check, watch little budgies from the time of the eggs. These little tiny, tiny eggs. And it was just an awesome thing to see and to think, that's going on all through nature, all the time. We got to witness it in our house. How does that happen? But the kids were praying that those eggs would hatch. And that was part of their faith walk. I'm sure of it. One time the rabbit got a cancer on his neck. I'm serious. It was like a big thing. And it was growing. Snoopy, remember that? And Snoopy had that huge cancer growth on his neck. And we thought, he's gone. He's going to be a goner. And we all prayed for him. All of a sudden one day he said, what happened to that big thing on his neck? And it was drying up. And it flaked off. You see, God is a God who cares enough to interact with in our lives. He answers prayer. And if he answers prayer about animals and about weather, we ought to be praying for our unsaved friends and neighbors and relatives and beseeching the Lord and just crying out to him, saying, Lord, deliver them. They need you. We ought to be praying about revival. I'm so encouraged to hear that this church is praying for new members, new people to get involved, new people to catch the vision. Of course, the next consequence is the love of God. The love of God. You know, if we do all this without love, it's nothing. 1 Corinthians 13 is so clear. If you have the faith to move mountains, if you have uh, the, 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 all these things, making personal sacrifice, give your body to be burned, but you don't have love, 
It's absolutely wasted. So one of the fruit of the Spirit, one of the consequences of abiding in Jesus is love. Why? Because he is the God of love. And our actions should always be out of love. Now, we misunderstand what love is. Let me be clear. I don't get it fully yet, but I'm working on it. But love is not just wishy-washy weakness and compliance and, and, and uh, uh, endorsing other people's actions. Jesus never endorsed sin. But he always loved those who were sinning. The woman that was brought in adultery, he didn't endorse adultery, but he certainly showed her genuine love and forgiveness. The love of God. John Knox prayed, Lord, give me Scotland or I die. Many people do not know that this was written concerning an answer to that prayer, and the Lord responded to his heart, you first die, John, then I'll give you Scotland. We pray, may this relationship work, or I'm going, or I'm going to die. The Lord says, just die first, and make the relationship work. The fourth consequence of, ab- of abiding or remaining in Jesus, the joy of God. That's our, one of our little boy's grandsons. Just turned one year on a very important day, January 20th. He was inaugurated. <laughs> we had a celebration. We were able to enjoy it over Skype. Wonderful technology these days, isn't it? He did the face plant in that cake. and Loved every bit of it. The consequence of remaining or abiding is joy. These things I speak to you that your joy may remain in you and your joy might be full. Are you a joyful Christian? It's a quality that ought to characteristics. You choose to be joyful. We need to choose joy every day of our lives. And of course, the fifth consequence of abiding is intimacy with God. No longer do I call you slaves. A slave does not perceive what the Lord is doing. I have spoken to you as friends. And all these things whatsoever I have heard from the Father, I have declared to you. God doesn't love us because he has to love us. He actually likes us. He actually loves us and wants us to know what is he doing. Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I shall do, he said? with respect to Sodom and Gomorrah, there's intimacy. Let me say something about prophecy here. There is a whole raft of false prophets out here today. We, we, we read about them in the New Testament, but they're every bit around today. You go on the internet, do a Google search, the end of the world, you'll find lots of false prophets. Now, I mean, they prophesied that Barack Obama was going to be going over to, to uh, Israel, or to, sorry, to France and join the 70 League and orchestrate that, that he was going to be assassinated. Oh yes, it's, it's, been, it's been well documented that they're false prophets. We need to listen to the word of God. How much are we reading God's word? Are we reading the newspapers? Are we reading McLean's? Are we reading Time? Are we reading the uh, emails and the and Facebook posts? But are we reading God's word? Because it's the only true word. And he gives you and I intimacy because of that. I told this story before, but I think it's important. Napoleon, not everything that Napoleon did was right, of course, but he was talking to a group of high-ranking officers, and his horse, standing nearby, bolted. 
a quick-thinking private, pursued the runaway on his own steed and was able to return Napoleon's horse safely. Well done, Captain, said Napoleon. The private, whose eyes were as big as saucers, saluted smartly and said, Yes, sir. Then this man immediately went to the supply tent and got himself a captain's uniform. Why? Well, he didn't say, I I didn't deserve this. He'd been addressed as a captain, and he went ahead and pursued what what Napoleon had told him to do. Now, the parallel is this. You and I have been given gifts, every one of us who know Jesus. And we need to be using those gifts. And we have the authority of the King of Kings. And in humble service, we need to be going forth and doing his work. There's a couple of consequences that none of us like. Well, this last one, the sixth consequence of abiding is persecution. Thank you, Joe. Doing an excellent job there. Persecution. Not the kind of thing we look forward to. I can just imagine getting a devotional book and getting down to um, the sixth part of how you mystically commune with God is get yourself persecuted. No, we don't ever read those things, do we? But the Bible is clear. Those who will live godly lives will be persecuted. Now, we don't go out and get persecuted for things we've done wrong. And we certainly don't go out and try to make a mess of things. But the point is, if we're witnessing if we're serving the Lord, there is going to be some form of persecution. You think times are tough now? When Paul wrote to Timothy and said to Timothy, and pray for those who are in authority over us. Who was in authority? A Roman Caesar who called himself God, who was killing people and persecuting Christians, who was crucifying Christians, putting them on torch on poles and covering them with tar and lighting them and making torchlights out of believers, and saying, you're the light of the world, you sure are. And that's the kind of world that they were called to pray for those who were in authority. And you think times are tough now? Times aren't tough now. We're sitting in a warm, heated room, even this last week. Who would have thought January weather like this in northern Ontario? We even had Global News saying, we don't know what's going on. It's two degrees in, 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 in Timmins. Actually, he was a little bit wrong because Becky Cornthwaite was up in Moosonee and she says, and it's two degrees up here too. (laughs) So this is amazing weather. Who would have thunk? The fact is, we are to pray and realize that yes, times can get tough, but we need to pray that God will bring about a rich harvest and much fruit. So the question then, the last consequence, of course, we already alluded to it, the consequence of of remaining or abiding is witnessing for Jesus. And the question then is, are you abiding? Are you witnessing for Jesus? Are you receiving some form of persecution? Are you joyous? Are you living in a life of answered prayer and fruitfulness? Are those characteristics of you? Are you more holy, more looking like the Lord Jesus? Well, if you are abiding, if you are remaining, keep hanging in there. And if you're not abiding and you say, no, that doesn't describe me, then maybe you need to go to the one who took the hammers and the nail and built a bridge. And that bridge was the cross.
Jesus is the bridge over troubled water. I love the song, Bridge Over Troubled Water. I'm not going to read it all, but I'm going to read a couple of notes and ask the, the, the praise team to come forward at this time. And this is Simon and Garfunkel's famous tune, but I always felt it was so appropriate for Jesus. When you're weary and feeling small, when tears are in your eyes, I, Jesus, will dry them all. I'm on your side. When times get rough and friends just can't be found, like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. Like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. If you've never surrendered your heart to the Lord Jesus, why not today? And if you have, let's go out and love the Lord with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our strengths, and see great fruitfulness for him. May God add his blessing to this time together. Lord, thank you again for this time we've been able to rededicate our lives to you. Lord, each one of us needs a life of constant surrender. Lord, there's been things this week we just need to let go. There's been things in our hearts that we need to just ask for your forgiveness. But most importantly, Lord, we want to remain in you. Thank you that you've said that you remain in us. And we thank you, Lord, and as we separate, bless us now as we go. And may we go with the love of Jesus in his name. Amen.